0: You're listening to Environmentally Speaking, a weekly podcast diving into legal matters surrounding the environment, public utilities, energy, zoning, and permitting laws in Rhode Island and the surrounding areas with your host, Marissa Desitel.
1: Hello and welcome everybody to this week's episode of Environmentally Speaking.
0: Hi everyone. I'm Marissa Desitel, an attorney in Rhode Island and Massachusetts
1: and i am clarice coming in with questions topics and the occasional sniffle so apologies in advance if i'm on mute or if you hear any background audio i think this time of year everybody is getting over a cold so brace yourself in advance thanks for the heads up you know there there might be some audio purists out there so <laughs> week i thought that
0: we would talk about a topic from our spreadsheet of topics
1: so official
0: and it ties in fairly closely with the last time you and I talked about the difference between an environmental lawyer and an environmental consultant the topic specifically I don't know why I'm making this this so dramatic the topic is (laughs) environmental (laughs) due diligence disasters Ah,
1: we love an alliteration like that
0: in the commercial transaction arena these types of mistakes have dire consequences they really do in terms of environmental liability and risk going through the due diligence process is just ripe with opportunity for people to make mistakes and it does happen
1: all right so we have to we have to back way up Ugh. And
0: you know i always do this i just i i plunge in and then i'm told that we have to excited. back up and then i love I'm embarrassed it.
1: but how do you i guess how do you start how do you start the process if there are so many places where you could make a mistake and there are so many pitfall pitfalls how do you how do you know how do you know if you're gonna make a mistake
0: you get so a you, avoid it. you get a letter from the government telling you you've made a <laughs>
1: mistake. <laughs> oh oh no, funny. it's like when you think you've done your taxes right and then the IRS yes. is like, nope. "Yes nope. again.
0: We're going to audit you." Sort of like that. When oh, you no. are when you're involved with purchasing or selling commercial industrial property, the first step in that process usually is for the parties to sign something called a letter of intent and that is a an initial agreement between the parties to engage in the due diligence process and start looking at all of the corporate assets including real property when i was doing environmental consulting a bazillion years ago you had 60 to 90 days to get your environmental due diligence completed
1: That's lately not a lot of time.
0: It, it's not it's not a lot of time it's commercial transactions are very different from residential they generally take more time there's more to look into and there's more third parties that you have to bring on to help you with the inquiry nowadays rumor is that commercial due diligence is shortened or can be shortened to 30 days 45 days i read that statistic you know i'm not in the environmental consulting field anymore so I was unaware of this particular Mm -hmm. parameter being shortened but I thought damn shit (laughs) oh shit that is not a lot of time now after the letter of intent is signed if you are getting financing from a traditional lending institution Mm -hmm. they will often require that you go through this process called environmental due diligence. If you don't have a traditional lender, you should still go through this process. If you're the buyer on your own, you should undertake this process. If you know what you're doing to make sure that your risks and liabilities are are covered. But with a traditional lender, they will require you to to hire a consultant to do this due diligence. And one of the biggest mistakes, that's come out of these particular transactions that I've seen in case law is such a technicality that you just, it makes you wanna scream. (laughs) Um, It's something called privity of contract. Are you familiar with that
1: from law school? Oh God, that sounds like something I remembered for the exam and then the minute I walked out of the room, threw it out. I don't, I remember the words, tell me what it is again. It sounds so, old english doesn't it it does privity. it sounds mm, it contract. sounds fancy mm. i'm exclusively thinking of old landowners
0: <laughs> old landowners and I, it kind of sounds like privacy the way that the english yeah. say it, so maybe that's why i'm thinking that anywho uh, privity of contract is not an old english uh phrase it means that the two or more parties to a contract have a meeting of the minds together.
1: Oh, for Pete's sake. Isn't that the point of the contract?
0: It's the point of the contract. You have to be a party to the contract in order to be subject to the contract. Well, as you can imagine, if the lending institution, (laughs) I know it's like, it's hard not to laugh, but it's actually it's a critical thing. And you you get really screwed if you make these mistakes with with due diligence. If the party that's conducting the due diligence process for the lending institution contracts with only the lending institution then you as the buyer are not covered by that due diligence process it's Uh as though you never engaged in the due diligence process when the environmental consultant is brought on to do something called a phase one environmental site assessment or Mm -hmm. sometimes even during a refinance you might have a transaction screen completed if you as the buyer don't sign the contract with the consultant then you're not covered by anything that they find or don't find and you have the option of getting something called a um, not a, a letter of privity, but um during the, the transactional process you can request from the consultant that you be covered mm-hmm. and they'll issue you a, a some type of coverage letter. And of course I'm after having prepared for today's episode, <laughs> I've completely forgotten what the name of that letter is. Um maybe I'll come back to that.
1: Oh, but this isn't this isn't funny anymore. This is actually Now this has some, you were right. This has some serious consequences. Yeah, it does. Holy cow. So you could be a buyer who is following all of the steps, but if you just miss, you know, signing that paper, everything that's found, you lose coverage, you lose protection. And am I going too far in reaching by saying, could some of those faults of the property suddenly become your responsibility, yeah, even though you're not yet the buyer? The, the or you're federal... not yet the cause.
0: Yes, the federal statute that governs all of this activity is called Circla. We've done an episode on it. Yes, people also refer to Circla as the Superfund. Not Superfund.
1: It was super not fun.
0: fund with a D. And if you're involved in the chain of title for a piece of real property, the rule is that you are strictly liable for any of the environmental contamination at that property. Strict liability, if you recall from law school, means big deal. means it doesn't matter. If you're on the <laughs> chain of title, you are automatically liable. You don't have to have... Um, there's not a lot of demonstration required by the government to show that you should pay for the cleanup. What you're dying laughing. What's happening?
1: I can't I just love the I wish I could have just written on my exam. It doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> you got to see matter M A T T A H. It doesn't matter. Um yeah, it doesn't matter. You're 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 on the hook. Yeah. And further, under the Superfund statute, there's something called joint and several liability which means, let's say you and I own this real property together that's contaminated or I buy it from you, mm-hmm. you are 100% responsible, I am also 100% responsible.
1: It's both of our faults, no matter
0: what. And the way that that works <clears throat> out, that the way that that framework works out in the context of environmental litigation is the party is just going at each other like, like cats. No, you did this cats. and you did this. And the, and the government says, you guys figure out, you guys apportion liability and contribution. And we're just gonna tell you that we know you're responsible cause you're on the chain of title. And so you you have to, you're responsible for 100% of the cleanup. Oh. The purpose of the environmental site assessment <clears throat> is to cover your ass. You hire wow. a, a qualified professional You enter into the contract with them, hopefully. They do a comprehensive review of all available materials. There is a standard that governs this process. So it's not like some random guy on the street can go and do this work for you. There's a a standard that you have to be familiar with. There's a a particular review that you have to undertake. Mm -hmm. And the thought is that that environmental consultant is going to capture all of the known environmental risks under under the Superfund site. This is not a phase one site assessment. Does not cover, for example, um, OSHA occupation, occupational <laughs> safety and health administration type yeah. of issues issues with with the the title itself. You know, like if there was a, a deed that was recorded incorrectly, it doesn't cover any of that. It only covers. Contamination associated with the Superfund site because we're talking about strict and joint and several liability It's a huge risk So the first mistake that I'm familiar with is this issue where there's no privity of contract between the buyer and the person that or the company That's doing the site assessment another type of mistake and horror show that you can end up with is um, a case that I worked on when I was an environmental consultant when you've got historical underground storage tanks on a property, it's usually because they held heating oil or, um, fuel of some sort and they're underground because, you know, we're still burying tanks underground to this day at Mm -hmm. gas stations, for example. And the party that was hired to remove two of the underground storage tanks at the site, only came in to do that scope of work because the previous owner wanted to save money and let me just tell you whenever you're dealing with an environmental matter saving money is not on the agenda it's it it's the opposite you just get ready to open the bank account spigot and have at it so the previous owner had two underground storage tanks removed successfully Mm -hmm. and when I came in, it was part of a, a transaction screen for, um, I think it was a, I can't remember if it was a refinance, but we had the capability to employ something called ground penetrating radar and discovered additional underground storage tanks that the previous consultant had not found. And, um, and the, the, the new owner had to pay for it.
1: So was the mistake... <laughs> was the mistake that this new owner only went by the previously given plan and didn't do a re- didn't do additional research how where was that where did he or he or she go wrong where did this new buyer go wrong in that
0: the a, a couple of different areas the previous owner was trying to save money and and did save money <laughs> by only doing this limited scope of work and probably picked the, the cheapest estimate that he got, which mm-hmm. makes sense, that's what you do, right? You get your yeah. car fixed, you want it for the, the cheapest amount. But again, we're in the context of Superfund, so nothing is cheap and saving a grand over here means that you're on the hook for a million over here. So that doesn't yeah. make sense. So that was the first mistake in my opinion. Ultimately, I don't know what happened between the previous owner and, and the buyer, because I was not an attorney at the time. I just know this issue came up in, um, the consulting field. Okay. So the previous owner saves money mm-hmm. only takes out these two underground storage tanks. Then through the, it must've been sold for this fact pattern to work out the way that it did. And the new owner was getting refinanced. So they technically you, you conduct something called a transaction screen. And it's a it's a smaller scope than your phase one environmental site assessment. depends on the lender it's the lender requirements. Again, this was I think it was in the context of a refinance. so you wouldn't think that you have to do all of this additional work, but for whatever reason, either the new owner or the lender said, "Eh we Whoa. want some additional work done out there. We don't We don't think it's everything has been. Handled properly and where we want to cover our ass. So my company gets called in we have this ground penetrating radar and We find additional underground storage tanks that the New owner had to pay to remove because there was no there was no knowledge of them at the time of the the purchase and sale Um, and generally speaking If you've been in the field long enough as an attorney or a consultant or in some other capacity a lender you kind of get a you get a sense or a feeling about a particular property if you are conducting a file review and looking at another company's phase one or phase two that was done previously sometimes you just look at the company and you know like oh I'm gonna have to dot my eyes and cross my T's on this thing because these people are sloppy or whatever and then sometimes it's just that the information is so old, the property's not changed hands recently. You might have a, a something from 1970, an environmental assessment from 1970, as you can imagine, was just like, oh, we threw all of our oily rags into the river. Everything's fine. <laughs> so that, in those cases... That tree in
1: the corner is still alive. This is a yeah, healthy site. Yeah, everyone
0: is dying of cancer, but I'm going to go ahead and sell my property. So yeah, in those instances, you kind of, you're like, oh. All right i need to i need to be more diligent about the review (laughs) so those are the those are the two uh mistakes that came to mind one in the context of being an environmental attorney cover your ass with the privity of contract and number two as a as a consultant um looking at scopes of work undertaken previously will tell you whether you need to be more comprehensive in your review.
1: And it's, I mean, go hearing all of these stories, They these sound like almost hidden pitfalls and non-intentionally hidden pitfalls. These are things that your average buyer wouldn't necessarily think about because they're just so unique to, envi- they're just so unique in niche in the environmental yeah. space. Yeah, and you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. That's what this situation comes out to. So I guess the big takeaways are make sure your privity is signed. Do some extra work. Make sure that site is checked. And check to see how old your environmental environmental info is. What's the date on that?
0: And get a reputable consulting firm. Don't go for just the cheapest option.
1: Yeah. Pulling back to last week's episode, um, relying on your experts, making sure it's somebody that you can trust, somebody who's going to help guide you through the process. Because we don't, it, just like you said, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't have to know it. Having yeah, that expert have to have calling that person and in, <laughs> the yeah, the right
0: person to do the job for you.
1: Exactly. Oh, these I don't are know why we're
0: laughing so much. You know, this is like a a very stressful and serious issue. People like file for bankruptcy and it's are panic impacted. Panic laughing.
1: It, I think it is. is. It's panic laughing. God, like, oh, I hope this doesn't happen to me. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm I'm not going to be buying a defunct gas station, so I think I'm okay. Okay, good. Maybe that's the new takeaway. Don't buy a defunct gas station. No,
0: no, because we need folks to redevelop. Contaminated properties. We need these properties to be reused. We don't want them to just sit there We want the contamination cleaned, but you got to go about it the right way
1: That's true. Somebody else should I'm not going to do
0: it. No, you're not buying it.
1: I will I will support somebody in their efforts.
0: Okay (laughs) Well, Hopefully this episode did
1: Here we go. All right Listen, if you
0: have any questions about this I am no longer allowing Clarice to give out email addresses because it's wrong every time um, which is funny, but, you know, if someone has a question, I would actually like for them to get in touch. Uh, my email is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A, at desatelbrowning.com. Did you just
1: have your hand raised? No, I was clapping that I oh, don't have to do it anymore. Oh, clever. So if you catch us on the socials, Desatel Browning Law on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, or if you watch our videos on YouTube, you'll get to see me use the clapping emoji on Zoom because I don't have to say the email.
0: I I love that I didn't know what that was.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love these What is that? I don't know. It's like a little celebration. Celebratory
0: horn. horn. All right. I got to go. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmentally Speaking. If you're in need of an environmental attorney, we are here to help. Call us at 401-477-0023 or visit our website at www. Dot That's
1: w